Okay, everybody, welcome back once again to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, along with Haggai Davis III, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Here on our show, we like to talk about the past, present, and future of all things technology in a topical, interesting, and digestible way. Without geek speak or a bunch of acronyms, we just want to talk about technology that's important to us and important to you. We also want to thank Cardinal Capital. To business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your lender. Even if you do, sometimes you face other challenges, such as a need to consolidate debt, a want to level out your cash flow, or a desire to buy new equipment because you're in growth mode. If this describes you, give Cardinal Capital a call, whatever your need or challenge. They have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business, and they want you to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business, so they can present your needs to lending institution that will best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important for lenders, and they are good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they will help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, all while being fun and easy to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net. You can also call them 225-308-3700 or email them info at cardinalcap.net. So, Mr. Davis, let's have us some tech gumbo today. Absolutely ready. Let's start off with the news and updates that Uber is now in New York City. You can now call a cab via the Uber app. This is really, really interesting. Part of the research that my team works on is studying what happens whenever you have different groups of people who want to buy and sell mobility as a service. So whenever you are not just owning your own car, but whenever you want to rent a car through this Uber app, you get all kinds of really interesting interactions that happen. And one of the differentiators is that Uber, you had to call through your phone and the taxi you could call from the street and those had different properties and that led to different outcomes now the fact that they're merged and you can now do both of them through the same platform this produces a lot of interesting different outcomes just from a research perspective as far as from a user perspective this is also much better one of the critiques of taxi cabs that they were unreliable that they weren't clean that you couldn't guarantee certain things about them and this solves that problem and it also allows the cab drivers who had a lot of critiques about uber eating into their market they're now visible in the same place too as best as i can tell a lot of different people benefit from this and i'm having trouble finding downsides i actually really like this i do too those people who spent money to be become taxi drivers that, you know, they had to go through the licensing and all of that. And those jobs were going away because people weren't wanting to wait on taxis when you can, like I said, pull up the, you know, your app and have somebody. Now, all of a sudden, it does still make sense to have that cab be a part of it. It puts more resources available so that instead of having a 15, 20-minute wait for the Uber guy to get there, now maybe you've only got a 30-second wait. Back to the old TV shows you saw in the 1960s, some guy in New York City on the curb whistling, hey, taxi. Now they don't have to whistle. at the. Now they just pull up on the phone, but the taxi shows up again. 
Right. And that image of the person standing on the street throwing their hands up works if you're in the middle of Manhattan. But if you're in Queens, wherever I live, there aren't taxis, taxis whistling past 24-7. And you would have had to have gone a couple blocks to Main Street and then hope to wait a while in order to find the taxi. Whereas now I can be sitting in my apartment and tell it to show up. And I'll, and much like the Uber, I know, all right, it's five minutes out. It's four minutes out. They're rounding the corner. Here I am. And so you're adding a lot more supply, which should theoretically decrease the price. So this is a good thing. I like this. I think having spent a little bit of time up there in New York City last year with you and seeing the availability of, of Uber and not seeing many yellow cabs in Manhattan while we were there, kind of, oh, yeah, maybe this is why. <laughs> yeah, I think it's also really interesting to think about the yellow cab is so iconic as part of New York City's culture. It's one of the the visible things that they're really proud of. And Uber was really eating into that. So I, I really do hope that this kind of brings back that just kind of picture. It's something that really represents New York City. This is good. And I, I'm also really curious to see, do they take this into other cities? Are there other cities that have a cab market that has the union that is strong enough, that has the lobbying that is strong enough to force this change, or is New York City an outlier in America in that capacity? I think from an Uber perspective, it just means that much more money for Uber because it's that many more people doing their program and not doing the competitor because Uber's going to get a little taste of that cab ride that they wouldn't weren't getting before. So if you go to a big city, Chicago, if you go to Los Angeles, where there you know there are still cabs, not many left, but you go to those places using your Uber, I, I, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. It, and, and it just brings more resources to to the table. That's all. That's a good point. That's Uber's now getting that. All right, we'll we'll take one percent. You're gonna you're not gonna use our platform. We're we're only taking a small amount, but. Uh, they want to expand out because that's one percent they weren't getting before. It doesn't cost them anything else to for you to be on their platform, and so now all of a sudden there's incentive for them to bring in the cab drivers because Uber owes nothing to their current drivers. Uber has guarantees them nothing, promises them nothing, and so by increasing the supply, yeah, you're going to harm your Uber drivers, but Uber doesn't care about them, and so. This benefits the consumer at the expense of people who are already driving for them. Moving along, the San Francisco police had an incident with the driverless car here recently. And yes, they made a big splash in, on, the, the, on the news and everything because a police officer tried to pull over a car that didn't have its headlights on. The interesting part of this car not having headlights on is it also didn't have a driver. We've talked recently about how a certain district in San Francisco now has the GM cruise car driving around fully without a, a person inside of it. And this is the first time that we've seen a, a video of the police pull one of those over. And what actually happens whenever you have a police officer pull over an empty car? The funny thing is the car recognized it was not in a safe place for that police officer. So when the light turned green in front of it, the car pulled it and kind of looked like it was it was running away from the police officer. But what it, what it was doing was going to the next block and pulling over parking in a safer place. 
Well, then the police show up, they pull up the block and there's a phone number and the, and the San Francisco police are trained to call this number to, to report what's going on. And as it turns out, the lights, the headlights just did not come on on this car because the car doesn't need it. The car sees everything around it with the, the radar and all of the everything else going on. That's that true, listening. but headlights are as much about other drivers seeing you as it is you seeing them. Exactly. That's and and so that's why the, the car was pulled over. The folks who, who captured it on their smartphones, they they put it on Twitter and it was a real big funny ha everybody got a big laugh about it. But the reality is the car did what it was supposed to do. And that's really interesting because that idea that the car recognized that it wasn't in a safe location to park and so it decided it needed to move. I understand what the engineers who designed that were thinking. But if the car doesn't communicate to the police officer, hey, I'm going to go one block further down the road because I'm uncomfortable here, and the car just pulls off and goes, which if you watch the video, that's what you see, the police officer thinks, oh man, I have a, a runaway car here. And the police officer, to his credit, does respond fairly calmly. He, he doesn't freak out. But... It would have been very easy for him to not respond anywhere near as calmly. And so this whole idea of our self-driving cars need to, one, make good decisions, but two, be able to communicate those to people around them. Because just because you make the right decision, if other people aren't expecting you to make that decision or don't know that you've made that decision, that makes it no longer the right decision. And so this communication aspect of self-driving cars is very much unsolved and that's a lot of why you're seeing the google car the gm car operate in these very tight circumstances is because okay whenever you're never going faster than 20 25 miles an hour your potential to to do something wrong and to, and to for things to go stupid is just much lower and so if this would have been on the interstate and it pulls over and then the car says oh you know, I'm next to trucks whistling by me at 75. I need to go half a mile down the road and pull off. You get a much different police response at that point right. in time. That's why they're working on all these things right now in low stakes environment, because I'm sure that there's a whole lot of people sitting around going, all right, how do we make sure this doesn't happen again? And they're going to have to really think a lot about this. And this is just one problem that we've seen that went viral. There's dozens or hundreds of these happening all of the time. This is such an interesting field, and I just really love being a part of it. I'm excited for you. One thing that is not exciting is what's going on with the Apple AirTags right now. Apparently, people are really using them to stalk people, which is not what they were intended to, to do. So the Apple AirTag is a device which, whenever you register it, will... It, uh, transmit it to location back to your account. The problem is this device is relatively small and discreet. And so if you place it on a car on the underside and you tape it there, no one's going to find that device. And it'll just sit there and it'll just ping its location. And so a lot of women are reporting that they're being stalked in this manner. And this is terrifying. Because what happens is every time somebody with an iPhone walks past this air tag if i have an iphone and i'm walking and or some woman has an, an air tag taped to the bottom of her car my 
phone recognizes it, that's an AirTag. It calls back to Apple and says, hey, this AirTag is here. And so the person who put the AirTag on the car now knows the AirTag is at this spot. And so every time somebody with an iPhone walks past any AirTag, there's a notification goes off. So if you are somebody with your iPhone and your people are stalking or showing up that how does this person keep following me or finding me? Open up your iPhone and go to the settings and look for the AirTag and, and it will tell you every time you walk past a, an AirTag, it'll tell you, hey, look, here's another AirTag and it'll show you the, the code. So when you see that code, you now know, hey, this code has shown up over and over and over and over. You call the police. You tell them, I think there's a problem. When this, if you find an air tag glued or stuck or, or affixed to your vehicle, call the police and have them come out and have them remove it because they can get this, the code that's on that and they can trace it back to who, who bought that air tag and they can go have a conversation that you don't need to be a part of. Absolutely. And that's evidence that if they say, you know, look, the police takes pictures of it, they pull it off, they report the whole thing. It's now in their documentation. It's not just you showing up with it. Now that that's a, a great solution to that. And another really scary part of this story is that there was 150 incidences that were reported in just eight police jurisdictions. There are thousands of police jurisdictions in the U.S., and I'm sure that a lot of this goes unreported. And so whenever you start to extrapolate out and think about how many times this is happening, this is a really scary problem that Apple needs to be doing something about. Apple needs to be taking steps, and we really should see what is Apple doing here. They should get rid of the AirTag. This thing is just – it's – it's just a half-baked idea that is way too easily to exploit right now, and they should take the whole thing down. It's unlikely that Apple is going to completely roll back this feature because they argue that it does have some positive use cases. And there are some positive use cases. Yes, there. we do have to say there are some positives. Much like any technology, it is simply a tool. And the argument that this tool can be used well is not enough to justify it whenever the tool can also be used very badly. And Apple, if they want to continue to have this as a product, really need to work hard to eliminate a lot of these abuse cases and to prevent this kind of thing from happening. But that's a large overhaul to the system that they don't really seem to be making an investment in right now. And they need to and deserve criticism until they seriously address this big issue. Well, the first thing they can do is if don't don't make it so hard to have to go into the into the settings to the Apple find mine and and, and then have it. If you're going to if you really want this air tag to work, make it on every screen on the phone when it sees an air tag. So, you know, you see there's an air tag nearby. Don't make it random that I have to go find out if I'm if I'm near an air tag kind of thing. I think some some logic like that, wherever if you're traveling to multiple different locations, your phone knows you're traveling. And if it's still seeing that same AirTag and it notices that AirTag isn't registered to you, you can pretty quickly pop up a notification that says, hey, 
we noticed that you're near this air tag on several different times. Do you know anything about this? Now, the problem is, is that there can be times whenever you do just randomly end up near the same air tag for whatever reason. Maybe you're on a college campus and your roommate is doing all these sorts of things. You have to eliminate out that. And that's why it gets really complicated and really messy. But these are the types of things that Apple needs to be doing in order to protect the vulnerable people who are are not interacting with this system and it is interacting with them. So come on, boys and girls over there at Apple, do something. Another thing we saw, we, this was an interesting story that caller ID is becoming a real thing on cell phones now, more so than just, it, hey, I've got that phone number in, in my contact, so now I recognize it. We're getting back to the days when caller ID used to, you know, on your landline, you would see caller IDs. Well, cell phones are starting to pick up caller IDs again. And it just so happens that turns out a lot of people are still on mom and dad's cell phone plans. A lot of people, especially in their 20s, but even in their 30s, are still on mom and dad's cell phone plan. And if you are someone like myself and you call someone for the first time and they don't have your phone number, it will sit there and look through its own network database of who is this number assigned to, and it'll grab the last person. And so in my case, it was grabbing the company that created this number more than a decade ago, 15 years ago, probably. Yeah, that, that was the company that, that I used to be a part owner of, and we, that's when we started that phone number for you. And so you can go into the company. You can call the company, probably go to their website easier, go into your account and have the caller ID actually change to give it off your name. But there was a, uh, there's, there's some examples in a story of people who were kind of called out. There's a guy who played professional hockey. They called him from a, a sports talk radio show, and it had his mom's name on the cell phone, on the caller ID. And they're like, what's this? And, and he, oh, I must be using my mom's phone. He tried to play it off, and then they kind of really called him out. And he's like, yeah, okay, so I'm still on my mom's cell phone plan. This guy makes millions of dollars playing hockey, and he's still on mom's cell phone plan. Stephen Miller, one of the top political officials in the Trump administration, was still on his parents' cell phone plan. These are people who make lots of money and are important in society, but whenever they got their cell phone, whenever they were 13 or 14, it was on the parents' plan, and there was never an obvious point in time to switch, and so they didn't. So here we are. Yeah. Same thing with we talked about two weeks ago with being on the Netflix plan. My guess is that this is going to be more and more common. And I, I'm really curious to see what do we do about it as a society? Well, you either start changing the caller IDs manually or you get your own plan. So the next story we want to talk about is one that is a kind of continuation of something we've been talking about for a while. This Amazon Just Walk Out technology is being implemented in the Houston Astros Stadium. The technology, the Just Walk Out, you put your, your information in at the beginning, and it sits there and tracks you. And whenever you leave the boundary with the objects, it just automatically dings your account. And it doesn't matter if you're getting a hot dog, if you're getting snacks, if you're buying a stuffed doll, a baseball glove, a bat, anything that's in this store that in, inside the ballpark. It's there. It's it's the same walkout technology. You register your phone or you register your, your your credit card. Either way, and so when you're walking out, it says thank you very much, and ding, hit your card. You never break stride. 
I've thought about this more, and I think that I actually don't like it because the way that it knows how to do this is it, it points cameras at you and tracks your every movement with AI and then feeds that into a database, and then that's how it knows all these things. If 20 years ago you had told someone that we're going to have a camera watch everything you do and track all of that motion and then sell that data, we would have said, oh my God, what went wrong? And now it's like, hey, you, you don't have to wait in line. And I don't know that what we're getting from this is worth what we're giving up because this feels like the kind of technology that once that they know that it works, it goes a whole lot of places and they don't tell you that it's on anymore. And you know, so this does use the AI the cameras to track. It also uses the RFID tags and several different ways of knowing what you have. So when you're walking past the door, it says, okay, yep, good old Haggai grabbed a, a baseball bat, a hot dog, and a 16-ounce beer on his way to the, the seats, dinging, you know, and there you go. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely need to keep following this story because this Just Walk Hack technology is expanding and going somewhere. And if you want to hear more about it, continue listening to us. We want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed service provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers across the southeastern United States. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through continuous innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 180 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, program designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of business schools and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business strengths. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need IT services, new technology, or have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. If you enjoyed our show today, we are here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4 p.m. And the show reruns Sundays also at 4 p.m. If you missed any part of the show or you'd like to hear this or previous episodes, check out our podcast. Available on almost every podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music Audible, and more. When you're there, be sure to subscribe so you get notified every time we post a new episode. If you like our show or you have any suggestions, let us know on our website at www.techgumbo.net. You can also always text us 225-255-0431. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.